Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, brought to you by Tetra Hearing. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where the host and guests discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience as a field, and to share our members' stories. Welcome back, friends, to another new episode of the Turkey Call All Access podcast, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, brought to you by Tetra Hearing. This week, we're still in Montana at the Wall Tent Turkey Camp. Uh, while a lot of the folks were out in the field, uh, Jana Waller uh, and I were able to sit down in the beautiful sunshine on a bright, sunny Montana spring day. I, as I understand, that's a, a rarity. So had the pleasure to catch up with Jana. We're, we're talking taxidermy, taxidermy woes. <laughs> Her great work with uh, veterans, the hunts they go on, new stuff she's doing on TV, all that and more. We do it all in 90 seconds. Let's go. This is Jason Hart, co-founder of Nomad Outdoor, and I'm here to welcome you to the Turkey Call All Access Podcast, hosted by my good buddy, Fred Bird. At Nomad, we're constantly innovating to keep you more effective in the field. Check out our new 2022 Nomad Turkey products, including our innovative bull lounger turkey vest, our new mesh-like pant, and our bino harness system designed with a turkey hunter in mind. Also, for you whitetail, waterfowl, and western big game hunters, keep a lookout for new products coming later this summer by Nomad. Nomad, gear that hunts. Picture this. The sky full of birds. A good dog by your blind. And the pinnacle of reliability in your hands. When the entire experience relies on the moment that trigger is pulled, your shotgun better be nothing less than perfect. Benelli's Super Black Eagle III. Dominate the skies. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Rolling. All right. In uh, the turkey wall tent camp still. Here in, I think last night we kept saying we we're close to Glacier National Park. Where where can we switch that up? An undisclosed location. <laughs> close to Glacier. <laughs> I love it. That sounds good enough. Yeah, we're still still in Glacier. <laughs> but uh, everyone is is out and about and uh, joined by Jana Waller, who's here in camp with us. And uh, we got some time in the sunshine. The wind finally stopped so we can record in the beautiful sunshine in this this beautiful spot and talk about not so beautiful things <laughs> <laughs> well, well well we'll talk a lot about uh, d different topics but one of them's not real pretty yeah yeah where do you want me to start let's just, just start dive there. in yeah. okay okay so it's funny this happened to me a couple months ago and at first i was absolutely mortified and wasn't going to tell anybody. And all of a sudden, after we've uh, remedied the situation, I figured I need to, I actually reached out to Pete, who then re reached out to you. And when we met Fred, we got to do a podcast on this because I, <laughs> if I can save someone else, the headache of what I went through, um, then it's all worth it. So I've been a turkey hunter for 
maybe almost three decades. And I have never, I never knew that you run the risk of, um, so I'll back up a little bit. What I always do with my turkeys, obviously process them, eat the whole bird. But what I, I've never fully mounted a bird or anything. I bring the fans in. But what I just have always done being the TJ Maxx of hunters, (laughs) (laughs) I save money. I take my big piece of cardboard that's in my garage. I spread the fan out. I salt it down really, really well, of course. But then I pin the fan open. It dries within a week or two, looks beautiful. And I stick it in my office or pin it in the garage. Same thing thousands of turkey hunters across this country do. Yeah, right. Well, apparently there's a little, things can go wrong if you do that. I was not aware of the fact that you run a risk of bringing in bugs. And I was going to look it up online and I did. And I already forgot the name of them. But turkeys and actually other birds as well can carry these mite like bugs in their feathers that are the kind that they they turn into little larvae and then the larvae turn into moths and they can fly around your house and get into your taxidermy. Mm. And so, and I never knew that. I mean, I'd always heard that, like, you know, obviously birds, even pheasants, grouse can carry these mice, a certain type of mice. But um, so I'm sitting in my office a couple months ago. My roommate, Laura, comes in. I'm talking with her and she just slowly turns and looks behind her because my face was like (laughs) jaw on the ground. And I was looking up at one of my fans on the wall and it was completely eaten. Like the feather, it was like a skeleton. And as I look around, I can't remember if I had six or eight fans all around my office. And my office, mind you, is not a normal woman's office. It (laughs) It has, you know, skulls all over, hides all over, artwork all over. It's just, you know, it looks like a, you know, explosion plethora of bones and hides and fur and taxidermy and sounds wonderful yeah and a big <laughs> there's a bear mounted on the wall there's that you know, big bear rug on the wall so anyway i start looking around at all the other fans and they're eaten as well to some degree and we both freak out we pull one of them down off the wall and sure enough i can see little worms gross it's so gross, so gross. i can't even tell you how disgusted huh. her and i both were we started to freak out she googles it and starts to really panic because Laura's bedroom in and of itself is crazy. It's got every kind of like her bedspread is bear hide and she's got wolverines. And and my whole house is complete taxidermy. There's yeah. not one room in a five bedroom, three bathroom house that doesn't have taxidermy, including the bathrooms. Like it's everywhere in my house. And she started screaming because she said, these are the kind that can get into your taxidermy. So we run around the house and start inspecting our mounts. And I call up Steve, my taxidermist, Game Trails Taxidermy in Florence. He didn't answer. I said, please call me back. I'm having an anxiety attack. And so we run around and Laura, from the other side of the house, I can hear her screaming for me. I go over there. They... They, she started to kind of like spread the hair apart on the, a wall of whitetails that I have. And these are, these are 30 year old white, yeah. you know, and a lot of my whitetails from Wisconsin, I had a different taxidermist do who used to do self tanning. And that's a key to this whole story is the, these kind of bugs 
um, they like to eat the hair and the hides of ta- of taxidermy, but they like self tanning better than like the new chemical processes. Sure. I guess in the last decade, according to what Steve has to say. So, um, anyway, we start to look at all the whitetails, and like the fur just comes out touching them, you know. And so we put those out on the deck and start looking at everything else. And mind you, we couldn't exactly get. I have a moose head from Alaska, yeah. and so it's it's big stuff. It's not what we can just easily get down off. Full the body wall. thick of deer. Yeah, <laughs> full body mountain lion, full body bear. Like, and so we start going around and inspecting, and the only ones we could really tell were those Wisconsin whitetails. But we put it was the winter time. We put them outside. We actually put it up. Ended up putting them in the shed. Because because online it said that these bugs are actually pretty easy to kill. Mm. You can like little did I know if I would have just stuck my turkey fans in the freezer for a few weeks before spreading them out and pinning them and drying yeah. them. Problem solved. I mean, it, I just never knew that that's what you needed to do. And not all turkeys carry them either. But it, what's really funny. And, oh, and so the big pain in the butt part of this story is we had to bug bomb our house Mm. and we're talking four major bug bombs and that's a pain in and of itself too because you got to unplug your like we have a couple of different freezers and refrigerators you got to tape up our propane fireplace you know put sheets because it's toxic stuff sheets all over the furniture and you know clean up you want to wipe all your surfaces down after cleanup because it's toxic. Hence, it, at least it was going to kill all the spiders in the house too. So, <laughs> so Laura was home that night. She actually did it for me, and she lit four bug bombs off in the house, and then I went and cleaned it all up. And so, yeah, if I could save somebody else the hassle of going through that and the stress, I, when Steve called me back, my taxidermist, he said, "I actually have had that happen to some clients." And it looked like it was derivative of birds as well, turkeys as well. He said one of his clients had a huge game room and has like all four grand slam of sheep, you know, Mm -hmm. full body sheep mounts. The one interesting thing Steve said is he said, did you check your mountain lion? And I've got the it's one of my absolute favorite mounts. It's behind my couch. Every podcast I'm on, you see it behind me. It It makes a good backdrop. And he said, go make sure you check. Yeah, we're good. Okay. Go make sure you check in between the the paws and see if the hair comes out. And if it does, they're in there. And you'll have to spray it down really well with the cedar spray, which I can go into too. And sure enough, I did. And it didn't like crumble out. I feel like we caught them pretty early, but it did. The hair did when you pull at it did come out. So there's a spray. There's a cedar spray or called mount spray that I found online. And apparently it kills them and they don't like it at all. Mm. And so even if you wanted to kind of do a preventative you could spray your mounts with the cedar spray. It smells really good, kind of like cedar trees. And um, but yeah, what a pain in the butt. It's so. a terrible thing to have to go through. At least all your stuff wasn't completely destroyed. Right. I mean, what a what a nightmare. And it's yeah. You know, people are investing in these memories by preserving them in that way, and just you know, even you can. There's certainly uh, techniques and the ability to put a new hide on a on a form, yes. but yes. you'll always sit there and look at him like it's not mine. Yeah, I'm going to have the four from Wisconsin redone. I'd actually even been been thinking about that anyway, just because they're they're really kind of poorly done. The yeah. eyes already cracked. They look like they're probably my great grandpa's. You know, the eyes are cracking, the hair is bleached. I wasn't smart enough to put 
filters on my windows until later on in life. So those old ones do look really old. And I probably will have Steve redo those now that there's hair coming out of the necks. But mm. yeah, it was, it, you know, and this is what I do. You know, it's who I am, a big game hunter. It's what I do for a living. And so I'm surrounded by taxidermy because it's what I absolutely love. And to me, it's my memories, like you said, yeah. uh, even more so than a photo album or videos. I look around and... I'm not sure what what's going to happen to all those when I die. I, if anyone wants any, just let me know. I'll put you on the list. <laughs> You're going to invite some yeah. some emails. Yeah, well, that's okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, uh, I hope I can save somebody else the the stress and the worry of that by just simply. Well, the funny thing is too. So I call my boyfriend John. John lives in Utah, and I said, "You are not going to believe what Laura and I just discovered. It's so gross, and we're freaking out." And he goes. Well, it's funny that you say that. I never told you this, but the the one turkey John had mounted, he ended up moving it years after and the tail fell off and he looked and sure enough, there were these little worms in the mm. back of it. I'm like, oh my gosh, you had that happen too. And I said, what'd you do? And he goes, bu- bu- bug bombed the basement. Crazy. And so then I'm talking to Christy Titus, another big game, you know, nope. turkey hunter, friend of all of ours. And she said, that's so funny. I've had that happen. I said, you did? And she said, yeah, I had fans on a shelf in my garage. And when she moved two years ago, she noticed on the shelf that it was, it looks almost like sand. Yeah. Like the the bugs create the sandy grit. Mm -hmm. And she said there was sand and worms all over this shelf. And I said, that's exactly it. And she said she had to toss her. And so mind you, I tossed all my turkey fans, which was sad in and of itself. I did keep, I kind of have a wall of beards. I kept the beards. I doused them in the spray, put them in the freezer and put them back up. But um, yeah, so the, the two of my good friends have had that happen to, I think it's probably more of a possibility than I had realized. I thought mm. maybe it was a fluke from me, you know, that I just had one, one crazy weird bird fan and it got into the others, but I think it's pretty common. Cautionary tale. So now when yes. people are hearing this, it naturally everyone's freaking out. And this uh, <laughs> mount spray needs to get a hold of me. You can email me directly because now you, you're going to want to be a sponsor of this here podcast. Exactly. We're throwing a ton of business your way in a matter of minutes. <laughs> yeah. And I ordered the biggest thing he had. It was concentrate. It was like because I had so many mounts to spray. It was like, you know, add water. And I probably have enough mount spray for five homes for the rest of our lives. But um, it's worth it, you know, to spray them down preventative. And then of course, if you're worried that this could maybe, you know, maybe you look at your mounts and maybe you don't see worms or because they're really itty bitty. But mm. if the hair is falling out or maybe your turkey fans start to look like mine did, you definitely need to get rid of them and then start fresh with your turkey fans, put them in the freezer, maybe spray them down. Like you said, the, the different cleaning process of them. But, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, all your listeners, no one has to go through this. Yeah, okay. no, there's definitely ways. I mean, you can still do it on the cheap, but like with anything, you get what you pay for. And, you know, if you got if especially if you're working on a, a slam or something like that and you want to preserve those those fans um, and that's what, how you want to display it. I mean, it's it's worth taking them to a taxidermist and have yeah. them go through the way they do it, because I would say most of them are probably doing a meatless system and, and, you know, they deconstruct and rebuild those fans and you never know it if you didn't know the process and they're just as beautiful as they were on the bird. And, yep. um, but I mean, like you said, you could freeze them first, you can treat them. I know back in the day, um, I would do the, I would do the same thing before I, I kind of knew better. And, uh, but I would take, um, like a, a, a silicone, not a silicone, but a, a two-part epoxy mm-hmm. and like 
cement that stuff in because I knew I couldn't get all of that material off. And uh, for me, that that seemed to work. But, you know, the best thing, like you said, freeze them, kill them little suckers yeah. before you even have a chance to worry about it. Yeah, yeah. And if you're so, listening to this and you're, sp- you know, you're afraid of what your spouse might think, just delete, quick listen, download it, listen, and then just erase it off your that's list. That's right. <laughs> yeah, even more reason for my wife not to want taxidermy in the house. I know, right? She doesn't listen to this, so I'm not really worried about I love it. it. I love it when I'm on Twitter once in a while and I'll have, see someone make some snide remark or disgusting remark about taxidermy, blah, blah, blah. And I love that they take a picture of my living room quick and then put it right in the thread. <laughs> you know, I just don't understand why people allow that in their house. Well, you know, if, if whether it's your husband or your wife or someone who is, is into the hunt, it's not just a head mound, it's a memory, you know? Yeah. And to me there, it's my favorite moments in my entire life as I look around my, my house. But Anyway, yeah, well, today was a, a you, I can't believe you, here we are at Walton Turkey Camp in the <laughs> middle of the Missouri River Ranks, and it used to be called, it used to be called the Camp B-Roll, because a lot of us have, you know, hunting shows, right. and we rarely killed turkeys, but we filmed tons of beautiful B-Roll, so we called it Camp B-Roll, but now, I mean, look, you roll into town and get a bird on day one. That was, first of all... Dude. It was not supposed to happen that way. <laughs> Lance was supposed to get this shot because we had it all set up because he was running archery tackle. We talked about this last night, but um, whatever. It worked out and you don't go in the turkey woods without a gun or archery tackle. Someone's got to make it happen. If you call birds in and from what I understand out here, that typically doesn't happen for you guys. It's really weird. You know, I've hunted turkeys across so many states. I've got my slam and but out here, it's a different story. And I don't know if it's just because of the terrain, because there's so many coyotes Mm -hmm. that they just kind of if most of us feel like they shut up if you're within 100 yards of them. That's been my experience. I think this is my sixth or seventh year coming to turkey camp. Um, Every turkey I've killed out here has been run and gun. None of them have been over a decoy. None of them have we called them in. Um, uh, the first one I ever killed was actually a wrestling match. Willie, Willie was on that one with me too, really Schmidt. And, uh, we ended up, they just got hung up at about a hundred yards. I ended up, and they were up on this little knob. We could hear them just gobbling back and forth. I ended up running and gunning and popping over the hill and boom. And Set, set my gun down and he was not even moving and I run over the 25 yards to get him and he flops in my face and continues to flop into the woods and I chase him and it ended up to be all on film and pretty funny <laughs> but every yeah every bird I've killed out here has been spot and stalk run and gun and uh, it's just a different way of doing it but it's so much fun yeah totally the, the the landscape everything about this this area is just it's beautiful and it's different and you know if you're from back east like myself and kind of have our, our ways of doing things. I mean, aside from wanting to do a, a slam, I mean, just coming out here and, and being in the, the, the vastness of the, all this openness. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a great uh, alternative to suburban turkey hunting or even like, you know, what, what can end up being crowded ag fields and stuff like that you yeah. know, in the Midwest. This is just completely different. Well, most people don't put on 10 miles a day yeah. turkey hunting, <laughs> but a lot of us do out here. I already have done three and a half this morning on a little jaunt. Um, it's weird. It, it rained all night last night and I thought today, Ooh, beautiful morning. It's sunny. They're going to be spouting off. And, uh, I did a three and a half mile big loop and just nothing. I didn't see anything. And 
with it out here, if we could like visually describe the terrain, it's just craggy fingers after like little canyons. And so you never know what's over the next ridge. Right. And you could just go ridge hop and ridge hop. We actually used to call them cliff divers because they'd be hammering and you'd think, okay, they're right on the next little finger, you know, mm. 200 yards away and you'd make your way over there. And all of a sudden he'd gobble again and you look and he's literally across the Grand Canyon, you know, dove over to the other side. But it does make it super fun. It's just beautiful out here. Um, there's been a lot of birds down this year, more than any year before. And it's fun when you can find, I found a nice five point elk shed yeah, yesterday. So yeah, it's fun when you can find shed, deer sheds, elk sheds, you can see elk, you know, the, the wildlife in here is just amazing. You can see deer, muleys, uh, whitetails, antelope, elk, there's coyotes everywhere. I thought for sure I was going to see some this morning. There were tracks everywhere. There, did you hear the one yipping from camp? This I morning? didn't. No. Oh, yeah. 5 a.m. I woke up. I heard him yipping right outside camp. But yeah, it's super fun. I mean, completely different style of bird hunting then. I mean, last year I shot a turkey with a pistol in Texas. Ta yeah, yeah. Completely 180, right? Yeah. You know, you're in a ground blind and I had, I was actually hunting hogs and javelina, but had a turkey tag in my pocket. So I was hunting with my 429 and luckily anything goes in Texas and uh, <laughs> in comes this beautiful Tom and yep. Shot a beautiful Tom with a 429. So crazy. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, but uh, God bless Texas. <laughs> you gotta love Texas. <laughs> this is, um, it's special out here for, for, for me and, and for a lot of us that understand the conservation story behind these lands and what's gone into it to perpetuate the populations of these birds. Mm -hmm. Um, again, last night when we were, we were all sitting around talking, you know, it was understood that there wasn't, when, when Jason started coming out here, there wasn't a lot of birds. No. Um, They've and, done a lot of habitat yeah. work, a lot of burns out here. NWTF has done habitat work, uh, relocation, or uh, not relocation, but um, releasing of birds, I believe, out here. Didn't he say that? I, th I think it's some, no, well, I think it was a private release. Oh, Something, oh. it wasn't us. Well, thank you, Mr. Yeah, whoever <laughs> you were. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I guess I don't know what all arrangements were made, but it, it took. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then with what you're talking about, the burns and, and moving of invasives, yep. I, I think the big thing out here is juniper. Yep. Um, yeah. It's created a home for them and they're, they're thriving. We were in birds all day yesterday. Yeah. It's amazing because you, it is a harsh winter here. No. Yeah. And it just always amazes me how they survive in the winter. And I know a lot of them move out of this craggy, hilly, kind of Grand Canyon-y looking country that we're in right now into the river bottoms. Um, maybe they're more protected out of some of the extreme cold. And, but it gets wicked over here in the winter. These are tough birds. Well, the wind was wicked. <laughs> was it yesterday? My gosh, it didn't, they yeah. didn't lay down, but for... Maybe an hour total. We were yeah, talking they're... about that. Willie and I were talking like, like, how do they even stay in the trees? Like yeah. with that kind of wind. Um, but it was interesting to note because you, you would look out here and it, it's, and this is why I, I, I'm captivated by Miriam's and their coloration, right? You look out and you'll glass for seemingly endless miles and birds are in front of you, but you don't see it just because of the coloration and they just blend in it. Like, even 20 yards, they can disappear if they just stand still. So it's really a challenge. I mean, you can sit out there and look at some of these bluffs and these ridge lines, and, you know, if there's a nice open spot and try to find them. But, I mean, you really got to get on the ground and get in some of these depressions. And, and more to that point, so as I'm observing this out here, I'm like, there's really not much to eat. Well, 
presumably not much. I mean, they're making a living on something. Uh, we cut open one of the bags this morning, loaded with grass and, and yep. bugs and centipedes. Yep. And, and sometimes there's a big, big grasshopper hatch out here. Yeah. And I've cut them open before where they have just tons of grasshoppers in them. I've actually got on film one year um, watching these hens chase grasshoppers down. Like really? Back, it's really, really cute. Yeah. They're running back and forth, chasing them down and eating them. And but yeah, they're they're hardy birds for sure. There's there's agriculture, but it, what's funny is, I mean, when I've hunted birds in you know Kansas, Nebraska, Wisconsin, it's a lot of field birds. You right. know, you're sitting on the edges of the field. They come out, they strut their stuff, and it's the classic bird hunt. There's egg here, but I we don't really find the birds in it that often. You know, they maybe they are in it a little bit, but where this is pure woods, running, gunning. You know, where we've we do most of our killing is they, you know, on the ridges you could, where you can kind of sneak up on them. But it's literally that if I can paint a picture for your listeners, you you can sit with your binoculars and glass and glass and glass. And it's amazing, like even a mile away, it it uh, you get to know what you're looking for. You're looking for literally a black basketball, yeah. you know, on the green and the 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 more time we spend out here, you know, the greener it gets. It's there's still a couple of little pockets of snow. Yeah, there was. Yeah, but you can just see these little black, and you just got to be looking in the open at the right time to see these little. And then you just dive off. We did it yesterday. I was into birds yesterday, and you just see these little two black basketballs. It was two toms we saw from over a mile away, mm-hmm. and we ended up walking back to the truck, driving around, getting on a different ridge, diving in after them. Had a super good close and co- close counter, but. They came up over a ridge and they just, there was something they didn't like, whether it was the camera lens, because I had Willie's cameraman Lance with me, but I don't know, it was super fun. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's definitely what got big sky country, God's country out here. There's plenty to keep you occupied. You're, I mean, you talked about the the shed you picked up, and um, our group found some as well. And I, I found myself, you know, never having shed hunted like this, I, I almost was like, can can we take an hour just to kind of walk in these trees? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Because there's going to be some treasure in there somewhere. I'm convinced of it. Yep. You never know when you're going to stumble across, across them. Um, the shed hunting laws are different out here, as I understand it. Like Montana, it's cool, right? Yeah, depending. There are certain areas in Montana that are considered game ranges. Those are not open to shed hunting until like May 15th. They open up to the public and then they'll close again. Um, Sun River game range, Clearwater game range, though they're big, beautiful wintering ranges where there's some fantastic sheds. In both of those, you definitely have to be very bear aware. That's Grizz Central mm. in those game areas. I was in Clearwater one year shed hunting when a gentleman came across a sow and two cubs. And he had, luckily had a, had a pistol on him and she charged him. And he ended up um, shooting her in both shoulders and getting away. They had to go in and unfortunately FWP wardens had to dispatch her. But then I was able to go in. We were ended up running into FWP on the road and we had our camera with us. And so we filmed the capturing of the cubs. Oh, no way. Yeah. That were then actually relocated, I think to a zoo in Ohio, Hmm. but um, yeah, it grizzlies are uh, definitely something you have to worry about in those kind of shed hunting areas. Um, And it kind of has gotten really big in the last few years. It's a free for all, you know, you'll pull up in the morning you know, mid morning, it opens at noon and there'll be literally 60, 70 cars. Crazy competitive. Very much so. Yeah. 
but it's it's a fun experience. It was way more fun when it was less crowded. But <laughs> but in general, yeah, there's areas like that that are closed until they're opening. But otherwise, it's it's yeah, there's no season. You don't need there's no permits like some of the other some states. of the other states out here. You got to have that. Yeah. But Montana, you don't. Well, it's good no. to know. You know, and it's a good thing to keep in mind, too, of depending on the area you're in, not going into too soon where the deer and the elk are weakened after they shed, mm. you know, and you don't want to bump all the wildlife around and just try to be re- respectful of that. But yeah, Montana is a, uh, it's a fun place to come shed hunt for sure. Yeah, for sure. Plenty. Actually, no, it's not. Don't come. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There <laughs> are no, really no sheds There's here. all these rules and regulations. There are. This is Jason Hart, co-founder of Nomad Outdoor, and I'm here to welcome you to the Turkey Call All Access Podcast, hosted by my good buddy, Fred Bird. At Nomad, we're constantly innovating to keep you more effective in the field. Check out our new 2022 Nomad Turkey products, including our innovative Bull Lounger Turkey Vest, our new mesh-like pant, and our Bino Harness System designed with a turkey hunter in mind. Also, for you whitetail, waterfowl, and western big game hunters, keep a lookout for new products coming later this summer by Nomad. Nomad, gear that hunts. Picture this, the sky full of birds, a good dog by your blind, and the pinnacle of reliability in your hands. When the entire experience relies on the moment that trigger is pulled, your shotgun better be nothing less than perfect. Benelli's Super Black Eagle III. Dominate the skies. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops in Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. We were remarking on that earlier, which is hunting regulation, a nice segue into, you know, your new position on the commission. Um, how was that experience? How's it been? <laughs> <laughs> it has actually been um, it's been a great experience. Very eye opening, very challenging. Um, I. I have to admit, I knew nothing about the commission and how the processes work um, before I became a commissioner. Um, I was encouraged by a lot of the conservation groups in my area um, to apply for it. And I really didn't think it was happened. So I filled out the online application, you know, attached a resume, never thought another thing of it, Mm. actually didn't hear for months. And so I didn't think it was going to happen. And all of a sudden got a call from a woman who said, hey, the governor would like to speak with you tomorrow. So had a really nice interview with the governor. And um, I do have to say, I, uh, I'm i giggling right now. Um, <laughs> I was definitely undersold on the time that it involves. Yeah, yeah. It, it could be a full job. I put probably 10 to 20 hours in, in emails, phone calls, reading up on topics, uh, reading up on our next uh, meetings agenda. Every other month we meet in person in Helena. Luckily, it's only a two and a half hour ride for me. Some of the commissioners have six, seven hour rides. It's a big commitment. And um, the nice thing about my term is so they added on two new commissioners to Montana's Wildlife uh, Commission this year, uh, me and another uh, commissioner. And 
my term's only 14 months. So I'm oh. actually up for ter- uh, up for re-election or reappointment, I should yeah. say, next January. And then after that, if I am reappointed, it's four years mm-hmm. if I accept it. <laughs> if I am and then if I accept it. But it's, uh, no, there's like anything, there's parts that are awesome um, and great. I feel like I'm doing a really good job and listening to the constituents, listening to the people in region two. And there are times I'm really... Um, thrilled with the challenges of it. And then there's other times I go on social media and it just makes my stomach turn because a lot of people get on social media and they bash and they complain and they, you know, are really negative and have no good solutions. And they're, they've got their stories wrong. That's not what happened or that's not why we did this or changed that. And that's frustrating to me. I'm kind of a right fighter in general, my personality. Mm. And I don't like, and I want, you know, I, I'm, I have to fight off the urge to get on and and fight them back and say, that's absolutely not true. This is, you know, this isn't what's happening or that's not happening or we're trying to fix this. And, you know, at the same time, I've learned to just back off. I don't even follow a bunch of those hunting pages anymore because it's gone, yeah. you know, negative. So I just got to stay focused, focused on the positive, um, do the best I can listen to uh, listen to the people who are passionate about the topics at hand and you know, just go from there. But it's been a, it's been a really interesting challenge. I always found like my abbreviated stint uh, in New Hampshire um, because of the time commitment. Right. And I had to, you know, resign early because I could not give my constituents what you, what you are finding time to do somehow. Right. Yeah. Um, But I always found that like you, I would want to correct them or, you know, this is, you're, you're going off in a rabbit hole that doesn't exist, invite them, like show up to a meeting, right? Like these are open to the public. You should have a, 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 a an interest and in, in show up at least, you know, once a year, a couple times a year uh, to get the, the full report. I, I think a lot of the states started with Zoom and stuff started like broadcasting them, which I think is a, yeah, a great yeah. idea because mm-hmm. um, if people can't make a seven hour trip, they can at least log in and, and be informed. Yeah, they can be informed. They can also contribute, you know, sign up to speak. And unfortunately, with all, you know, Montana is obviously one of the greatest states in the country to hunt. We have deer, elk, antelope, bear, mountain lion, you name it, you know, and coyotes, wolves. We've got it all. And then every kind of bird hunting, we've got it all. But with that becomes, you know, some critical wildlife management that needs to happen. and. Um, it's complicated. It's super complicated. And every group, every interest group has their opinions and what they want. And one group might want this one group might not want that. And they think it's, you know, and from river regulations to hunting regulations to parks and rec to it's complicated. And, uh, you're right. A lot of people who are negative and get online, they they wouldn't even think of coming sure. to the meeting, but now we do it. So they are in person. You can show up as the public. Um, every topic that's on the agenda is open to public comment online. And all those public comments do get read by every single commissioner <laughs> and also by, they get passed around with all the biologists. So when you go through the correct portal on, on the website, everybody within the office sees what your thoughts are. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I would say eight out of the 10 comments are really well, well thought out. The people have really good opinions or, or why they feel certain things. Uh, and then you have the classic message once in a while. That's just name calling and sure. doesn't do anybody any good, but there's, 
I really think it's important that the public get involved as much as they can. There's a lot of sub committees people can be get involved mm-hmm. with. There's an elk council. There's um, PLPW, public lands, public wildlife. There's um, citizen advisory councils in every region. There's plenty of ways to get involved um, as well as attending the meetings or even on Zoom and getting in line and speaking your two minutes. It's important because, you know, if you're going to sit there and uh, and have uh, something negative to say and not offer solutions, like I I have a hard time reconciling with you, you know, as, yeah. a, as a person or someone that's presenting an argument where at least if you're showing up or you're, you're contributing something once in a while, like have have some ownership in all of this, because just coming out here or wherever you're at um, and, and being consumptive in the resource and only, you know, putting back your dollars by way of your license and not having any more skin in the game. Like, I don't know, for me, it's not a well-rounded experience or um, uh, giving back to what you're taking. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like you need to, you should have, you should want to have a say. Yeah. And protect what you believe in for the future generations, you know, whether you're, you know, a houndsman and houndsmen are a different classification. They've got their own opinions and wants mm. and needs, whether you're a houndsman or you're a fly fishing guide or, you know, whatever you're into, get involved and um, let your voice be heard, especially on topics that are passionate to you. What's the what's the big doings in in Montana right now? Well, we just had a season setting. Um, uh, we just completely changed the way lion hunting happens in Montana. Yeah. Um, every unit used to be a little bit different than the other one, and now it's kind of a across the state, unlimited limited tags. There's a lot of little caveats that go. Um, with that, um, for example, I think I was talking to you or somebody else about now if you're coming as a non-resident, you have to have. Um, if you're bringing your dogs or hunting with a non-outfitter, you have to have a D4 hounds permit. That's new. That was new last year. Um, but that was a big one. And that just passed. Um, next meeting, I believe we're going to be talking about some of the usage uh, regulations on the rivers. Those get rev- revised every three years. Mm. I had a meeting with a bunch of the out- fly fishing outfitters in Missoula last week. Um, nothing really hot topic. We'll, we'll we will be looking at align quotas coming up. Um, the wolf issue, that's always a hot topic. We'll be looking at wolf quotas for next year and thresholds for areas around the parks. Um, but it's it, it's Montana. There's always big stuff going on, I feel. Like. Yeah. Well, talk to me about the, the grizzly bears because there was a couple of years ago, uh, they were listed, they were not listed, they were listed again. Where does uh, where's our lower 48 grizzly population stand in Montana and how's that? Well, it depends on who you ask, that's <laughs> for sure. If you ask me, they are definitely way overpopulated and need to be managed. I mean, yeah. the last time I was archery elk hunting i think it was four years ago now we filmed 11 different grizzly bears on a 10-day archery hunt yeah and i've had many encounters i filmed if you want to go watch and sit your kids down and talk about the birds and the bees i have a (laughs) mating grizzlies on my uh skullbound chronicles show on carbon tv it's free carbon tv is like youtube Mm -hmm. it's free for everybody to watch there's no membership no nothing and you can go on season one and watch mating grizzlies it's uh, oh there you go get your popcorn (laughs) and it was right outside missoula which is so crazy in an area that I never even used to think about, I mean, really great black bear area, but never used to even think about grizzlies in there. And Mm. I just feel like now, especially on the Western part of the state, um, 
you can run into them at any. There's already been a shed hunter killed this year. Um, father of four, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sad. But yeah, they need to be managed. Unfortunately, it is now a political issue. And um, there is a tri-state assembly of, I believe, Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming that have gotten together um, trying to pull together. Um, you know, we're just stronger if we can stand taller together. And it's it's all political at this point in ga- in time, but steps are moving towards hopefully delisting in the near future. I mean, the whole point of, of putting a specific species on these lists is to bring them back to a point they're they're successful on the landscape and they can be managed. Yeah. And you're when you know the original conversations are we must follow the science, trust the science. <laughs> well, when you do that and you see it all the way through, the whole point is to Trust the science and the science will dictate whatever the species is, right. turkey, grizzly bears, antelope, uh, on this landscape, they, they must be managed to be healthy. Exactly. And the anti-hunters don't care about that at all. Mm. I've talked to a bunch of them, especially with being a commissioner. Yeah. They don't, they do not care about the science at all. They will back you up with their science that says, you know, wildlife manages itself. We all know that not to not be true. Um, and... I mean, how many more deaths need to occur before, if nothing else, that there's a little bit of grizzly bear hunting going on where they hear a shot or see hunters and run away. They don't have that. They have not been hunted here mm-hmm. in so long. And they need they at, need, at least need to have the fear of man in them. Sure. You know? um, but I believe in, in managing them as anything like the wolves, grizzlies, everything needs to be um managed for lack of a better term and um, hopefully we'll be getting there. And, you know, the wolf issue, same thing. And it's tumultuous in a lot of states, not just the West, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, it's, you know, there's constantly, you know, riots at the Capitol for the wolf, you know, and you've got, you know, the wolf lovers who, um, you know, they have their opinions, they deserve to be heard. But then you also have to look at the science and what's happening to the ungulate populations in those states. Yeah. And it just is it, it's complicated. Wildlife management's complicated. It's always going to be we've you've got factors that are unpredictable, like predators, like weather, um, number of hunters. We in Montana right now have to look at the fact that the landscape is changing with all of the people moving into Montana. Last year, I think we went from the previous year of 18,000 people putting in for uh, hunting licenses went up in one year. Now, mind you, in the year of COVID, but one year to 30,000. I think wow. I think those were the numbers. So, yeah, we have to look at it. What does it look like? You know, I know my my subdivisions exploding in the Bitterroot Valley. And so a lot of people are moving into Montana. They want our little bit of slice of heaven that we have out here, understandably so. But what does that look like with that many more hunters on the landscape and that many more licenses? And and so we have to take that into consideration. I think everybody deserves an opportunity, but we have to manage for the wildlife, number one. That's our job. Um, the job of the commission and the job of the division is to manage a sustainable wildlife population. But we need to look at all these factors that are are playing into today's ball game. That population boom is, I have to imagine as, as far as it goes with those bear interactions, it's got to be like a nightmare scenario mm-hmm. just because you're going to have so many people that don't, first of all, they're not from here. I mean, they're going to be residents, but like coming out of metropolitan areas of the east or the southeast and then I'm going to go be a mountain man like, man, you got to have your stuff ready to go and understand like you're just not going out on a nature walk out right. here. 
Right. Like it's, it's freaking legit. Yeah. In fact, that's funny. We don't have much cell service out here, but I was up by the water tower this morning and I was looking at my messages and I had one on there from um, Justin Rasmussen. He's Razco gear. He makes my holsters for my pistols. And he just put out a bear aware video of basically, you know, self-defense things you can do that will up your game. Of course, there's nothing that's ever foolproof, but that you can up your game if you have an encounter, whether it's with an angry sow black bear or a grizzly. And uh, I haven't had a chance to watch it, but I'm going to hopefully go watch that and share that. And you're right. People just need to be aware. Yeah. Not just looking at squirrels in the city parks is a completely different experience. You don't, yeah. you don't walk around in these urban environments thinking about getting eaten. Yeah. It's just it's just not in your, your gray matter. No. But you literally have to think about that out here. Before coming out, I asked Jason, I said, what do I need to pack? Like, am I in am I in getting eaten country or am I in just chasing <laughs> ch- to turkey country? He's like, no, you're good where you're at. And I said, OK, very good. You know, it's funny. Uh, yeah. we There are rare, very few even I don't think there are any grizz in this particular area. I mean, who knows, but the very few black bear, that's not bear country where we are at right now. And you, I don't ever think of it as mountain lion country, but two days ago, I have the freshest pictures of mountain lion tracks in the sand around a water hole. I mean, so much where I, when I was by myself, I just got here. I went on a walkabout, set up my tent, went on a walkabout and I um, went down to check this, the tracks near this water hole. And sure enough, big cat tracks. I thought, okay, I started talking really loud. I don't care if I'm scaring the birds away here. Just in case he's pitched up on a cliff, like above me kind of thing. And it's really rare. Mind you, I have come, I've caught, I've seen six mountain lions in the wild when I have not been mountain lion hunting mm. in the last 12 years. And there, if you just go rah and put your hands up, they turn inside out and run away. Mm. You know, they're, they're a really curious animal, just like a house cat. They're curious, yeah. but you can scare them super easy. But you know, every once in a blue moon, there was a, I think it was a nine late eighties, early nineties, there was um, a kid on his bike killed in Montana, just outside Missoula. Yeah. So it can happen. It's rare. You know, even you don't want them to jump and figure you don't want them to jump you and figure out. That like you might sharks, be. they 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 taste with their mouth. <laughs> yeah. They feel you out. Oh, that's a bad way to go, man. It is pretty rare, but when you see a track and you're standing in a lion track, you're like, oh, okay, look around. Could be around. It's just again being aware. And there's some spots we got into yesterday. I was like, yep, if there's a mountain lion ready to kill me, it's gonna be right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and climb out. <laughs> you're never gonna see him coming. Nope. They're pretty stealthy. No. Well, I mean, that's that's what makes up the excitement about coming out here and that part of the adventure is, uh, you know, this this kind of weird feeling of not being at the top of the food chain out here. That's yeah. that's that big adventure. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, yeah. And like you said, just educating yourself on on how to protect yourself and things to do, what not to do, especially when you're camping in bear country, yeah. you know, putting making sure you're you have nothing of smell, even toothpaste in your in your tent and hanging all that. But out here, it's a lot less pressure than, you know, I, so from my house to where we are right here, it's six and a half hours. But when you're camping out in, in where I live, you definitely have to take precautions. Yeah. This is, this is cool, Montana. This is chill camping. It's kind of chill, Montana. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. You got to ease into that bear stuff. Yeah. So what else, uh, what else has been going on? We're just, again, we're just hanging here at the campsite, just, just shooting the breeze. Yeah. How's work? What's, uh, any big plans or? Work's good. I'm excited this year. I am putting together. So with this being the first full year as a commissioner and being super busy with that, um, and, and 
coupled with the fact that I had had this idea for years of putting all my favorite veteran shows together in one Mm -hmm. big season, um, that this was the perfect year to do that. And so last year I started, um, kind of devising a plan in my head of what I wanted to release and what shows we were going to do. And, um, so this year on Skullbone Chronicles is an all veteran season. You, if you watched my show, I was on nine years on the network on Sportsman's channel. Um, and then the last before this season, three years on Skullbone Chronicles. Um, you may have seen a lot of these episodes before, but it's really fun to have them all in one big season. So once a month around the 15th, I'm releasing a new episode. So there's four out right now. This last episode is an elk hunt in Wyoming with um, Mark Geist or Oz, who was in Benghazi. And he is just, he's a great guy. He has just so many important messages throughout the hunt. So we kind of go back and forth from the elk hunt to him sitting down and telling the story of what happened in Benghazi that night. And the really cool thing is we got permission to intercut um, segments from the movie 13 hours. So as Oz is telling, you know, my viewers of Skullbone Chronicles, what's going on, they're seeing pieces of the movie 13 hours. Jim for the office shows up and just starts. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Whenever I can throw an office reference into this show, I try to find. He's throwing waste there on the rooftops of Benghazi. (laughs) But uh, it is such a good movie. I just encourage everybody. It's now on, I think it's on Netflix. Um, to uh, sit down and watch. They did a really good job of telling that story without making it uberly political mm-hmm. and just went, what went down. And they lost four people that night. But in the same time, Oz and his crew were accredited with saving the lives of 25 Americans that night. So it's a great story. And it's Oz's first elk hunt and he kills a great bull at R&K. So yeah, I'm really proud of that one. Um, the, the episode before that was double amputee Corey Garmin on an elk hunt in Utah. And just really, there's probably six or seven elk hunts, awesome elk hunts. Um, it started out the season. I kicked it off with Bo Richenbeck, who's a double amputee Navy SEAL. He was my first du- uh, amputee that I ever took hunting. And mm-hmm. it was just such an amazing experience for me to watch him just evolve in the mountains and what his prosthetics could do, mm-hmm. which was not much because it was mountainous terrain. So he ended up taking him off, spinning these plates onto the bottom of his stumps and literally crawling the mountains. Wow. He's such a warrior, such a beast. Ends up on the eighth day getting a great bowl and it was so exciting and uh, that's the first episode this season and so yeah um there'll be a bow fishing show coming up next this month um with mike krampitz who i think mike's story is really important mike suffered from a lot of um tbi with traumatic brain injury a lot of um, post-traumatic stress Mm. when he got home He had seen some pretty wicked, awful things uh, over there, like so many of our men and women do. And he tells the story about just coming home and kind of want to burying himself, you know, in his house and not wanting to get out much and and really, you know, getting out and hitting the water with AMS. And we just bowfish Kentucky and it was so much fun. I'm excited to release that one next month. Hopefully get people excited for the summertime bow fishing adventures. I can't wait. I'm already juiced. I'm going to go in. uh, I got a couple of trips planned in June, but so, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. So go on to carbon TV. It's free app on your phone. You can, um, watch it on your laptop on carbon tv.com, but you can also watch it on your TV. If you've got Roku fire stick, if you have a Samsung TV, that's, um, I think 2016 or older or newer. Um, and then carbon just signed like seven, um, worldwide digital um 
programming co- contracts in the last few hmm. months. I think they're, I think, I think we're on Hulu, hopefully about to be slaying. So you can really find carbon TV Everywhere. almost anywhere now. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Um, the weather channel, um, uh, sports, I think it's sports TV.com. Just a lot of different avenues who people are looking for that adventure TV, you know? So, um, and that, but those, those kind of channels are live streamed, meaning, you know, it's, it, they're programmed. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you just wanted to go on demand and watch show after show or different, if you just Google, you know, turkey hunting, you'll be able to go in and watch a bunch of different turkey hunts on carbon, but it's fun. It's been a good change over to the platform for me going digital. And it's been a great change for my partners because once someone finds your show they can go back and watch all your other ones so it's been it's been a great change seems like a lot of folks are making have made that that switch right Mm -hmm. having more control for the end user over that that product and to have it be on demand most of the time or yep yeah um yep but you know how it is when you're watching tv with the family and they've got something on and Maybe you don't want to watch The Bachelor, so you just yeah. <laughs> put, on, put on your headphones and put on carpet TV and watch some good hunting. Oh, man, <laughs> it's um, it's it's an interesting evolution in, in what a lot of you guys here in camp do, right? I mean, people with TV shows, a traditional way of, of doing business is it's not dead, but it's a lot of people are finding a, a way to evolve and be current, yep. um, which opens up so much opportunity for other storytellers, which yeah. is is exciting to me because, I mean, that's this thing here is, I mean, it's good for NWTF to be able to tell stories. But for me as an individual to have this part of uh, what I do for a living, it's um, it's kind of weird because I just I like telling stories. I like to talk. I like hearing other people's stories. And I, I what I come back to is this is this is our recorded history, you know, right. Um, if no one's reading books or no one's writing this stuff down, how to, how does our story get told and why is it important to future generations, my kids, their kids, however, whatever we end up in. Right. Right. Um, I like that more people, um, who may not, you know, be air finger quote connected to the biz are finding ways, very creative people that are doing really important work or finding avenues to tell their story or get messaging out that lines right up with stuff we do because, you know, their, their stories are important too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think it's not in, like, that's why I'm so excited. I'm a storyteller like you are. And that's why this veteran season is so fun mm. because we get to tell a story of a fun hunt, but also that veteran's story. Um, there's two episodes ago, I think is uh, Greg Stubbe's turkey hunt, which is one of the coolest episodes I've ever filmed and it's just a turkey hunt, but the way that it goes down and the messaging at the end, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but if you can watch Greg Stubbe's turkey hunt, um, without tearing up, then, then you're a steel soul. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we, uh, this fellow pup Westfall out of, uh, Tennessee, he's a veteran, suffered, uh, PTSD from going over army vet. Um, I think they re- he almost hit his 20, but they had to retire him early. Um, anyway, he wrote an article for, for Turkey call and it was uh, save the habitat, save the hunt, save my life, you mm-hmm. know, and this whole thing about coming back and in, into c- civilization and, uh, you know, just interacting with people. Now he wasn't blown up or didn't have outward scars, but his mind. Yep. Is terribly scarred, and it was a very powerful um, podcast interview that I got to do with him, and it touched home for me because it, it was the first time I ever uh, openly uh, addressed 
and admitted to a public audience of my PTSD um, and, and kind of being honest with myself. It was a powerful moment that um, healing, healing. I'm getting choked up. Sorry. Oh, um, it's an important message because there's so many guys and gals out there um, that go through it and they they hold on to this crap for a long time. They really do. And I'll tell you, I, I'm going to interject real quick that what you're saying is so important. When I met Tom Spooner, Tom Spooner started Warrior's Heart, the very first facility of its kind in Texas that is like a 30-day inpatient treatment center for not just addictions, like we think of treatment centers, but for post-traumatic stress from from first responders and veterans. Typically, those two categories often see you know, they go through hell and then to our brains have to process that. And he described it to me like this. He said, you know, men and women, but primarily men, um, just because of their work positions, I'm not, you know, not, I, I actually did a show with a woman who has post-traumatic stress. We'll talk about in a minute, but, um, they come back, um, from seeing hell and surviving hell. And a lot of times they'll have survivor's guilt, but they all bottle it all up because, they they're still processing it and dealing with it and don't know how to talk about it. And he said, they're carrying around, think of it as a cup full of guilt and emotions and sadness. And they're carrying this cup that's absolutely full. And you know, when a cup is full and you're, you're really cautious and you're taking every Mm -hmm. step and you're worried it might spill over. And, and he said, and that burden of that cup full doesn't belong to that soldier. It belongs to every single person in the United States of Mm. America in this great free country that we live. And if they can learn to just pour out a little of that burden in that cup and a little bit of burden in that cup from people who want to listen and are willing to give them their ears. And the more they can share their stories of what they're going through or share their stories of maybe fear of the future, whatever that burden that's holding them back might be. And if they can pour it out in a little bit of into other people's cups, suddenly they're only standing there with half a cup of burden Mm. and that they can deal with. And I thought that was such a beautiful way of describing, you know, um, visually what, what some of our soldiers and first responders go through. And, you know, what I found interesting through that conversation and and my own discovery, you know, it's not it's not just derived from one bad situation. Right. One bad IED goes off and your buddies die or it's it's a it's in large part the programming. Right. So a lot of us when we go in as enlisted folks, you know, we're 18, 19 and your your whole frontal lobe is not even done. Right. right? You're like you're still seven years away, I guess, from from that happening. So that that training that builds you up, that tear you down, builds you up like that works for that military environment. And, you know, if you're like I I was, you know, hard charger, wanted to do everything. I ate that stuff up. It, it resonated with me. It does not, however, resonate with 80 percent of the civilian population. So you come out, um, you address people a certain way, you walk a certain way, you look at people a certain way and. Uh, oftentimes people will avoid you because they think they think you're angry or you're menacing and and you're just going about your business like inside you're like I just want to say hello and you start to feel a little ostracized and lonely and then that adds to what's already underlying you're like now you have these feelings of loneliness so uh, what I'm getting to is the the stuff like you do and bringing people out and letting them just kind of 
Yeah. Just get some of that out or fill some different cups up. It's so valuable and so important just to hear just to hear people acknowledge it, get it out, literally say the words, mm-hmm. it's powerful. It's very powerful. And, and you can start fixing things. On the flip side of that, for those of us who maybe haven't been through that, how powerful is it to understand what our men and women of the military go through? Because it just makes me then appreciate our freedoms more, mm. our country more. You know, what 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 people who are away from loved ones. I mean, most civilians, let's say, could never spend nine months away from their family. You know. Like that's tough in and of itself, that separation. <laughs> this turkey camp would be a challenge <laughs> for them. Yeah. <laughs> but I uh, I do think it's so important to understand what they go through to be a good ear for people. It's important for them to talk about it. Like you said, to even say the words can be super healing. Mm-hmm. But even if it, we, it, it, I can just share the stories through Skullbound, like to me, it's it, it may be super small compared to the big world we live in. But if, if someone's out there and says, wow, you know, maybe I need to get out into the nature, into nature. Maybe I need to share my story. Yeah. Maybe I need to just open up my arms to my friends who've been reaching out, you know, then that's a powerful thing. It really is. And and us hunters know how powerful mother nature is. Yeah. it's, it's And to combine the two is a beautiful thing. It's, it's, uh, I think as human beings that we just, we crave it. And whether you want to admit it or not, like this being out here, even if you do it for an afternoon, it resets you. Yeah. Like leave your phone in the car. Well, unless you're trying to map somewhere on your all trails or, <laughs> or on X or something, but you know, don't, don't gay engage socially. Don't find a, a cliff to take a selfie on. And that's your goal. Like go to that cliff and the goal will be the view. Yeah. Climb the mountain for the view, not for the, hundreds of likes you may or may not get. Right. Yeah. We were talking about that earlier about, you know, yeah, social media has a many beautiful aspects to it. The technological era we live in does connect us to each other in a way that's great. But our, our, our brains, I don't believe were ever really meant to, to live in that kind of environment no. every day. That's why you see now it being so big about telling about grounding, how healing grounding is. For those who people don't know what grounding is, go outside and put your bare feet on the ground. Yeah. Or, you know, sit on the ground and, and let your hands just touch the ground. Mm. And there's literally scientific proof that it's healing, mm. just like the sunlight is healing to people. No one gets enough sunlight and how our circadian rhythms for sleep have a lot to do with getting outside and resetting the brain. And and I, I think, you know, as horrible as COVID was, the one thing that is positive that's come out of it is that people maybe have a better appreciation of getting outside. Yeah. It was the only thing we could do. And, you know, we hunters know that already, but there is a lot. I mean, there's 95% of the public that doesn't hunt and may not know. And I'm not talking about getting out into Grand Central Park. That doesn't <laughs> count. You have to get away from traffic and hearing the noise. Buzz. Yeah. The buzz and the noise of daily life and just soaking up the sunlight and this fresh air and you know, walking through the woods and hearing the pine needles crunch under your feet and the birds chirping. And, you know, I do really like resets the perfect word. Yeah. Um, the COVID, uh, you, would you reference there people coming into it? It's, it's made it exciting for organizations like NWTF and then other folks you, you've worked with in the past uh, and still do to see this influx of new, new energy. And people discovering it for the first time. Uh, Benny O'Brien likes to call them emergent hunters. I like that better than onset hunters. And 
you know, I know that we're playing semantics, but I like emergent. They're they're emerging from this shitty time in our career, in our in our history, yeah. and finding something so pure and, and embracing it and then sticking with it. Yeah, yeah. I know that a lot of people are uh, negative about there's all these new hunters, public lands too crowded, and this and that. And you've got to flip it and look at the side of we're. You know, all of our grandfathers used to hunt, right? Mm-hmm. And as our great grandfathers and grandfathers are passing on, we're not filling those numbers up. Like there's too many of them dying off and not enough new hunters coming in. That's right. And we're we're down to less than 5% of the public in 5% of the people in the United States who yeah. buy hunting licenses. And I, that's scary in and of itself. And while yes, maybe your public land is getting crowded and in looking a little bit uh, fuller, maybe in the last couple of years, cause of COVID, I still think it's a positive thing. And I think that, I think it's important to remember that even if, you know, we're never going to convert the anti hunters and they're never going to tell us anything we sure. want to hear. Right. But we do need for people to understand and support hunting and and that 85 to 90 percent maybe 95 now percent of the public that if if it's well they kind of boil it down to where we're five percent let's say and let's say the anti-hunters the vehemently anti-hunters are five percent that leaves 90 percent of people who eh, you know they don't really have an opinion either this way that way maybe didn't grow up in a hunting family but don't oppose it those are the people that we need to reach and to understand and support at least just support what we do and not get involved with those other groups trying to shut us down and create this bill and that bill to stop you know hunting sliver away at it because number one the wildlife needs it mm-hmm. because wildlife management is critical and there we hunt wildlife you know we, there is wildlife because we hunt wildlife right. and i stole that quote from my boyfriend john <laughs> and but it's true and um footnoted more people are understanding that connection and again i think a lot of it has to do with the horrible covid the last couple of years but they're they're all of a sudden you know they for the first time in their lives went to the grocery store and there were empty shelves yeah. you know people thinking oh maybe i need to get into canning whether it's my garden or my deer you know right canning vegetables and and sustainable living and people have there's been a reawakening of the great outdoors and whatever that means to people can be different, but I think it's a beautiful thing. I think we need people to support wildlife management through hunting. And, um, you know, if you have to trip them up to get to your spot, so. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and bringing the the conversation kind of full circle with, uh, you know, I'm talking about your, your commissioner uh, ship here in Montana, having more of those people in that 90%, you know, when it comes time to voting, you know, especially dealing with legislators, having an indifferent crowd be um, have an opinion of you. That's a good one. I mean, that's just they don't we don't have to have them come out and hunt. We'd, we'd like some of them, too. But as long as they're willing to say, no, you you, you can't just carte blanche, say none of this can happen. Right. Um, you know, their their vote matters still. Yeah. And the wildlife is their resource as well. It totally is. We have to remember that the non-consumptive users are, you know, they have a right to their opinions. They have a right. Um, I just don't want them turning into anti-hunters because right. then you're like you just said, they are going to do create havoc and and try to stop what we're doing. And there's a lot of groups that um Pose like they're an animal lovers group, right. like HSUS, that's the Humane Society of the United States and other groups like that, that really all they do is put in 
uh, you know, hire attorneys, put in, you know, put in place all these ridiculous bills. And that's what they do. And they, whereas we hunters do way more for wildlife and animals than any of the animal rights groups do. And we've got the dollars to back it. We can show you exactly what we hunters put towards mm -hmm. habitat and wildlife conservation every single year. And it's, it's an important message. And I think it's getting out there now, obviously with social media and, you know, we can do ourselves damage on that kind of thing. For sure. And we've got to remember that. I think there's been a big push in the last couple of years of we're being respectful, whether it's your field photos or your dialogue with people. Remember a lot of people who have no idea why you would even hunt a bear or a coyote right. or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, I think there's been a big push for that to remember what the non-consumptive users are, are looking at and thinking. But at the same time, um, like it's a good thing. It is a really good thing that um, more people are, are understanding what we're all about. Yeah. Well, um, commissioner. <laughs> I got to get back into the. Yeah, look, woods. we got to. It's 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 time for you to go. Uh, there's daylight left, but uh, we needed another turkey. In yeah. camp. So thanks for your time. Thanks yeah. for this the conversation took some weird turns. I was not expecting. From so bugs to veterans. <laughs> yeah. So um, go get them. Good luck. Hope to see you bring one back into camp here. Uh, if I'm still here, if I'm not good to see you. Oh, it's so good. To thanks see for you your too. time. We'll connect uh, down the road here very sh soon. Yeah. Congrats on your bird again. Oh, thank you. Way to show us up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's it. Thanks from Turkey Camp. And uh, we will talk to you guys later. Take care. Thank you so much to my friend Jana Waller uh, for her time, taking time out of a uh, little turkey hunting. I'm sure we uh, we could have kept talking, but she definitely needed to get back after it and uh, and chase those uh, those beautiful Montana Miriams. Holy smokes, are they gorgeous birds? Wow, kind of kind of ran the gamut there. <laughs> um, that's what's fun. That's what's great about this, and then the the storytelling and the shared experiences, and we kind of kind of. Just go with the conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope it didn't get uh, too deep uh, for some of you, but I think it'll speak directly to uh, quite a few folks, and hopefully it meant something to you. Jana does so much good work with, with veterans, and, and, and it's all so genuine. You know, some people have heard me talk uh, privately or on this show about um, being a veteran myself, my concern uh, over the years of uh, certain organizations using <laughs> veterans uh, physically wounded or mentally wounded or otherwise uh, as props like it or not it's something that happens and uh, Jana Waller is not one of those people her love and passion for our nation's warriors is is so very genuine and and the love and respect she has for them and I think I think she would say she would do more if she could and what she does is is amazing so um certainly affecting the lives of those folks she's able to take care of and take out um, and and hopefully touch touch others uh, through her storytelling and uh, her platform so um Thanks, Jenna, for what you do. Um, and thanks for the PSA on the, uh, <laughs> the the taxidermy woes. So uh, that company wants to hit me up, fbird at nwtf.net. You want to talk sponsorship? I'm all ears because you got a hell of a plug this week. <laughs> um, always take care of your turkey fans. Uh, great idea to freeze and let them, let them get clean. You don't want to, you know, spend that thousands of dollars on beautiful mounts just to have them go, uh, go up in uh, proverbial flames there. So cautionary tales abound next week we're gonna head to georgia we're catching up with my buddy Darrell smith uh, and a very hot 
hot day in Georgia. <laughs> I don't think there's anything other than a hot day in Georgia, especially when you're a New England guy. And, you know, that's all perspective. But looking forward to catching up with uh, my good buddy Darrell, have a good conversation there. And then after that, we're heading to Vermont uh, to catch up with um, state chapter vice president Brett Ledoux, Roger Latham Award winner Brett Ledoux, a competitive call maker, a call caller, excuse me, competitive caller Brett Ledoux. Brett's a solid solid fella, good friend, and uh, I'm looking forward to bringing you that conversation here real soon. Until then, we got a lot of cool stuff going on at the Federation, guys. As you may have heard, uh, new co-CEOs announced. Congratulations to Kurt and Jason. Thank you to our outgoing CEO, Becky Humphreys, for her many, many years of, of service. A resume that is far too lengthy to tout here, but her tenure at the end of the BTF has been nothing of spectacular, especially going through, in our lifetime, one of the craziest times, uh, the, the COVID pandemic and, and all the stuff that came with that. Uh, she was steering the ship. She was the captain. She led us through. She was our, our admiral, our general, and uh, we're still here because of her leadership and the team she put together to make that happen. So um, thank you, Becky Humphreys, for all you've done for the National Wild Turkey Federation. Do enjoy your retirement and a well-deserved rest and hopefully many many turkey trips throughout the country to come. Opportunities for membership abound, guys. There's some great promotions going on. I want to hit you to first and foremost there's a real nice uh, cooler uh, bag that's being put out there. If you sign up right now through that uh, membership portal and get your membership for 35 bucks, uh, they're going to hook you up with a beautiful uh, Bottomland cooler tote. So you guys can go uh, go on our socials, check that out. You can find the links there. Uh, we've also uh, good friends of the NWTF, Brad Marshan and Kevin Miller of Marsh in Milko. Uh, Brad Marchand is a current Boston Bruins assistant captain and Kevin Miller, retired defenseman for the Boston Bruins. They teamed up a few years back. Uh, you, you heard Kevin earlier uh, last year. We had him on. We were on uh, Utah visiting with Kevin. Uh, they they created a lifestyle brand, have done some really cool work, and they uh, partnered with our friend and friends, uh, AJ DeRosa and, and the team at Project Upland to create a t-shirt. Uh, and the sales of those t-shirts are going to generate adult memberships. So for every t-shirt you get, uh, an adult membership is going to come with that. So limited run, fighting Tom's tea. Go check it out. Either go to Martian Milko, go to the NWTF platforms, go to Project Upland platforms and check it out. A really cool design that the uh, the folks over at Project Upland came up with. For 50 bucks, you're getting the limited run shirt and the adult membership. Um in totality, guys, there's free shipping on that. Uh, you know, normally you look at these these special shirts and they always go for like, uh, you know, between 40 and 45 bucks. We're, we're hooking you up with a full year membership with all membership benefits, the the one off shirt um, and then just knowing that you're doing some good and putting money back into the, the mission and what we do. We've talked about it every episode of this program and what that means at $35 means. So uh, you got some pretty cool incentives out there, whatever way you want to go, you're not going to do it wrong. Sign up for that membership, uh, grab the cooler, grab the shirt, grab them both. I mean, they're both great for summer. Uh, right now it's uh, Stanley cup playoffs. We're in the uh, final few weeks of Turkey season. So what, what better time sign up, uh, grab you a cool t-shirt, get you a cool cooler, uh, for the summer months. You can do all that at, uh, find us, you know, on all the social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn. Pretty sure I got them all. <laughs> That's it guys. Hey, appreciate it. I hope your season's 
are being uh, safe. I hope they're fruitful. Uh, you've tagged out. You're chasing the season. Uh, not too much left of it. So get it while you can. And uh, let us know how you're doing out there. You know, share those share those uh, success of field photos with us on uh, on those social platforms that I just mentioned. We love seeing that stuff and hearing from y'all. And who knows, maybe there's a great story in there we can reach out and have me on the program one of these days. Until next time, guys. Until we're in Georgia with Jarrell. Be safe. Love each other. Be kind. We'll catch you next time. See ya. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Picture this. The sky full of birds. A good dog by your blind and the pinnacle of reliability in your hands. When the entire experience relies on the moment that trigger is pulled, your shotgun better be nothing less than perfect. Benelli's Super Black Eagle 3. Dominate the skies. This is Jason Hart, co-founder of Nomad Outdoor, and I'm here to welcome you to the Turkey Call All Access Podcast, hosted by my good buddy, Fred Bird. At Nomad, we're constantly innovating to keep you more effective in the field. Check out our new 2022 Nomad Turkey products, including our innovative bull lounger turkey vest, our new mesh-like pant, and our bino harness system designed with a turkey hunter in mind. Also, for you whitetail, waterfowl, and western big game hunters, keep a lookout for new products coming later this summer by Nomad. Nomad, gear that hunts.